the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 30 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. 30 episodes, April. Nice round I'm number. I'm so glad that you keep up with the numbers. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I got my notebook here, so every week I add a page, and last week's page says 29, so I know that we're on 30. I get the award for best co-host ever. <laughs> Just kidding. It's like we've said before, everyone has to have their version of Owen, so. Yep. That's definitely me. <laughs> oh, Owen's, I, I like give that's a disservice to Owen. I apologize, Owen. <laughs> no, it's not. Owen, take it. You take it and you like it. Uh, before oh, we get man. into that, what? What's, oh. I, I was going to ask about your, your new um, snakes that came in. Well, I'll get to this. Let me do our sponsors and then I'll talk about them. Okay. I don't want to forget about sponsors. Okay. okay so we have, we have two awesome sponsors. Uh, well, first one is Lone Star Reptile Racks. Make amazing quality racks. Contact Robert over there. Get your rack made from him. I've got to get a quarantine rack from him and another baby rack. Not so much for this season because my, my season's winding down, but I know I'm going to need it next year. So I was like, I'm going to go ahead and get it. And then uh, our other sponsor is Sean and Lori over at Herps Reptile Shows. They just had their... I don't want to lie. I think it's Kansas City show. I feel horrible. I should know that because everybody posted about it all weekend. But I'm pretty sure it was the Kansas City show. Uh, and I'm I'm waiting, counting down days till Conroe because I'm just ready to be around reptile people again. But if you are anywhere in Colorado, Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma, soon to be Alabama, Louisiana, you should go to a herp show. If you haven't been to a herp show, you got to go to one. And it's soon to be Tennessee. Oh, that's true. That's right. They are. I keep forgetting that they're doing Tennessee. Yeah, because their Tennessee show will actually be in Tennessee. Yep. Yeah. So when, <laughs> Not when like the, what is it? The, is it Repticon? Is that what Re- it is? Repticon, yeah. Where they like it's Herp- Repticon or, 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 Memf- Memphis is, that's actually in Mississippi. Mississippi. It's not even in... <laughs> oh, I hate that. So, yes. Okay. Lone Star Reptile Rex and Herp's Reptile Shows, two amazing sponsors. And I love them to death. Wanted to make sure I got that in there before we go any farther. Uh, but yeah, I did get I did get new snakes. I got two more rubber boas. So How I went from were you? <laughs> I was, so I have never seen a rubber boa in person in my entire life until like three weeks ago when I got my first pair. And then someone contacted me and said they 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 had two more pairs for so well actually they contacted and said was I looking? And I was like, well, I just got some, but I might still be looking. And <laughs> and I was. They had two pair. And so a friend of mine that lives locally, I knew she had one rubber boas forever. So she bought, she got one pair. I got one pair. And uh, when she came over to get hers, it was like watching how I was when I got my first pair in the mail. Like she was super excited and couldn't stop smiling. Um, That's just, what your wife was telling me. That's so funny. They're just a bucket list animal that, you know, as a kid, I saw them. I was like, I want this. And then when you hold them in your hand, it's like, I now own this. It's completely awesome. Whereas most people go, That's a worm. And like, I get it. They look a lot like worms, but screw you. They're awesome. <laughs> And I then mean, I, uh, I guess I have to meet them to be able to are, make judgment. They are really cool. And then I also just, uh, I haven't got it yet, but I have bought, I finally got my female boa constrictor that I've wanted for my 
my male holdback. So uh, I'll I, talk I about my recent snake purchase once we talk about the question that I put up for the week. Oh, yeah. It has to do completely with that. <laughs> we'll get to that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited, but anyway. <laughs> so let's jump into this. I want to introduce our guest because we have a really interesting guest, and I have lots of questions that I want to ask because it's a really interesting topic. So, but Lori Torini from Behavior Education LLC. I think I got all that right. Correct, Lori? You did. It's perfect. Oh, no, Lori. Oh, that's just awesome. Yay. Welcome, Lori. We're very excited to have you. Well, thank you. Yes. You've been on a couple other podcasts. I know you were on NPR. Um, and you were just on the Animals at Home podcast, and you do a lot with animal in the name, but animal behavior, uh, specifically like snakes, which I think is really cool because they get a bum rap when it comes to snake intelligence. They do get a bum rap, and I only recently got into training snakes and doing snake behavior about three years ago. But for about thirty years, I've been doing animal training and animal behavior in general with various species. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. I didn't know it started with other animals. That's cool. Yes. So what made you decide to to switch over to snake behavior? That's a good question. I had a snake as a pet in my early 20s that I really (laughs) liked. And uh, then I got a job working for the city of Colorado Springs, and I was training horses and dogs and teaching horseback riding lessons on the side and working on the side as a veterinary assistant. When I got close to retiring, I knew that I wanted to get a snake again. And I also went back to school for another degree. I started studying um, applied science of zookeeping technology. And when I took herpetology, that one snake that I wanted to get again turned into like six. And then I saw there was a huge hole in the snake keeping world as far as behavior and training and enrichment. And I decided to go that direction because tons and tons of people already do those things with horses and dogs and other zoo animals and other domestic mammals, but no one was really doing it with snakes. I only knew of a couple of people doing it with snakes and other reptiles. And so I just felt like if I went that direction, I could fill a need in this culture and that I would be enhancing the lives of snakes and helping them stay with their owners, hopefully a lifetime, instead of their owners getting disenchanted with them or having their expectations not met, and then getting rid of the snakes. That's really awesome. So do you ever get a lot of like kickback on people telling you that snakes aren't that smart, just because that's kind of how we are? Even, I mean, I've been a snake lover forever, and it's just always in my mind. I've been like, well, yeah, they just kind of run off instinct. They can't. They're not that intelligent. Although we are realizing now that that is not true. I was wondering how many people reach out to you. And go, yeah, but that doesn't seem right. <laughs> Snakes aren't smart. Not anymore. In the beginning, you know, three years ago, as I started to post some things about training my snakes, I got a little bit of that. But the the science is out there that. Um, it, it goes against that. And it's so easy to find that you, I can post published papers. I can also post the work I'm doing and, and that other trainers are doing. And it's not just typing it up and saying that this happened, but you can see on video that these things are occurring. And so 
it's not very easy for people to dispute that snakes can be trained and that snakes um, are good associative learners and that operant conditioning and behavior science works the same on them as other vertebrates because it's right there in front of us. And there are many, many papers in the scientific literature that have been published that aren't that are recent, but there are also some that are 15 and 20 years old that I just think people are not aware of. Is that like the article that you posted um, in the comments on the page? I don't remember which one I posted. Was it about the snake's brain structure? I'm not 100% sure. Because that's James has it up the tell you. environmental enrichment alters the behavioral profile of oh, rat snakes. Yes. Yes. That was a paper that was done with a group of, I think, 16 rat snakes, and they divided them into you know, a group of eight and a group of eight. And one was raised in a lot of of environmental complexity. And one group was raised in what would be considered standard conditions, like paper substrate, a water dish, and one hide. And the other group had substrate they were able to burrow in, an elevated hide, a regular hide, a humid hide, um, a climbing branch. And then after the animals were raised in those conditions for several months, they did some tests on each group and they were actually um, able to show differences in their ability to habituate to new situations and to problem solve based on which group of uh, snakes the animals were in. And then when they mixed all the snakes together at the end, they were able to correctly separate them into their groups based on the behavior they were exhibiting. That's yeah, interesting. That, that <laughs> reminds me a lot of that. We talked about a paper on an earlier episode of uh, a research thing done with garter snakes, and they realized garter snakes were far more uh, like communal, and they learned each other, and they they su- they would seek out individuals to be with. Whereas before, we just kind of thought they were just go. If it was a garter snake, they went and hung out with other garter snakes. Where the experiment showed, you know, when they separated them, put them back together, certain ones would always clump back together, which yeah. showed some some form of a social structure kind of thing there that we we didn't think about before. Yes, and that's one of the interesting things that I've learned uh, since I've been part of the snake community is that many people have the misconception um, or, or they say that snakes are all one way, like they're all solitary or they're all this way or all that way. And there are thousands of species of snakes and they're all different and you can't lump them all into one category. So while some species of snakes are cannibalistic or are um, ophiagous where they eat other species of snakes, There are some snakes that are social and live communally, like rattlesnakes and garter snakes. And then you have a whole bunch of species in between that don't necessarily eat other snakes, but don't necessarily live with each other either and kind of live and let live. So you can't just lump them all into one and say all snakes are this way. When I think about so when I think about how when you talk about snakes and I start to think about their brains, have either one of y'all seen uh land of the lost will Ferrell's version of land of the lost? No, I saw what? the original land. of the Lost. So in the new one, he makes a joke because there's a, a T-Rex and it's about to get him. And, and will Ferrell makes a joke, goes, don't worry. He's dumb. His brain's the size of a walnut. And so the T-Rex like wanders off and then throws a walnut at them the size of a car. <laughs> and so like yeah it's the size of a walnut but the brain is the size of a car and so that's, like, that's what i think about with snakes we're like yes yeah, snakes aren't smart they don't have a big brain but then we're like but they have a big brain to their body like it, it works for their body like there's millions of years of evolution to fix that brain to do what it does 
Correct. I think we downplay it too much because we're like, well, it's not a human brain. Well, and what I had heard before was that the brain structure of the snake wasn't even like a, that of other vertebrates, and that's just incorrect. It has the same structures, the midbrain, the forebrain, the hindbrain, that all other vertebrates have. It has all the same brain parts, and it even ha it has a cerebral cortex. It has a dorsal ventricular ridge, which researchers believe is homologous to our neocortex, because that part of a bird's brain is what handles all of the birds higher functioning and we know how smart birds are well snakes have that same piece of anatomy and their brains produce the same neurochemicals that ours do and other vertebrates do they produce dopamine etc and just many many years ago for some reason some person and there's an article about this out there said, you know, the reptile brain is primitive and that's the primitive part of our brain and and the snake brain and the reptile brain isn't like ours and it's obviously not going to be identical to ours, but it has all the same or homologous parts as ours and as other vertebrates do. And so there isn't any reason why the laws of learning or behavior science would apply differently to them. And obviously in practice, all of the animal training techniques and the, and the behavior science that I use on all the other animals I've worked with, I use with the snakes and they work phenomenally well. Snakes are excellent learners. That's really cool. So if you have, um, this is totally like a personal, <laughs> like help me question. <laughs> I have some babies that are just so difficult in the sense that when I open the tub, they start breathing all heavy and they just don't want to be handled. They're super striky. So I just, you know, do the minimal stuff and leave them alone, but I don't really work with them. What would you suggest would be a good starter thing for me to do to try to get them to trust me? I mean, what you're doing there is fine. You're not really being extremely invasive. Like you're not trying to force yourself on them. You're just doing the minimal that you have to do in order to keep them clean and watered, presumably. But if you think about snakes' natural mm -hmm. biology and natural history, it's perfectly normal for baby snakes to be that way, or they wouldn't survive very long in the wild. So if you had a baby snake in situ that just went up to every mammal you know, that happened upon its burrow or its tree or wherever the snake happens to be and wasn't afraid of it, that snake wouldn't live very long. And so it wouldn't live on to adulthood to reproduce. So the animals that are surviving are those babies that are very defensive and can protect themselves because they're tiny and practically everything can kill them. So that's normal for them to be that way. And the best thing that you can do at that stage is just be around them, let them see you and the normal activity in the room without you physically going over to them and trying to handle them and touch them and be invasive because they will habituate eventually mm -hmm. to that activity and not be afraid of it anymore. Okay. Okay. And then you can work That's up a good facility. starting point. <laughs> well, and so once you're able to open the enclosure or open the bin and walk around it without them freaking out and then change the water without them freaking out, then you can move on to more active habituation, you know, where you're trying to get them used to more, but you can't just jump right into all or nothing. They're just going to be terrified and, and rightly so that's their nature. Right. I just picture April staring at them yelling, why don't you love me? <laughs> I have a couple. They're, they're a year old at this point, so I'm going to have to be more um, uh, 
what's it called? Uh, more purposeful with well, this is, what I'm doing to make sure that I'm working on that. It's difficult if you're keeping them in an enclosure like that they can't see out of. Because what works wonders is if they're in an enclosure where they have at least one wall or a window that they can see out of, then 24-7 they're seeing the activity around them and they're learning your behavior. You know, it's not just about us learning snake behavior, but the snakes have to be able to learn our behavior and learn what our body language means. So if they're able to see out, they're just passively learning these things and getting used to us. But if the only time they see us is when we're opening something and hovering over the top of them and then reaching in and doing things, that's it's a little harder to habituate them to our presence that way. Right. Because that's, that's more of my situation where I have. Yeah. And I'd say if you have some that Sorry, are just particularly fearful, that maybe as soon as you go in the room, yes. you open those bins and you leave them open for however long you're in there. and. And let them see what you're doing. Let them see out. Let them look around. And I don't know what your setup's like, if it would be safe to do that. Yeah, yeah, that that could definitely work. That That's the first thing I do. And then go around and do whatever else I need to do. And then that's just sort leave of them. Passive. Don't really even like handle them. Just let them watch. Right. And that's passive habituation. That's where you're just putting them, leaving them in their safe spot and letting them watch what's going on and get used to it. Active habituation is where you start to try to do things um, like maybe the target training or desensitization to handling or where you're actively participating and trying to get them used to things. But I don't even start there until they're used to my presence and where I know that they're no longer afraid of me just being next to them and moving around near them. Yeah. Awesome. I'll definitely do that. And I'll let you know how that goes. Okay. (laughs) All right. So that kind of leads us into uh, our first question that we want to talk about. Our first question this week was describe a form of enrichment you have used and how your animal reacted to it. Cause that's kind of the new push in the hobby is, is no longer, do you just put them in a drawer with paper and assume they're, they're happy. Um, And so we had a lot of responses uh, with different enrichment that people have done um, and kind of a, a mixed bag. Uh, so I'll go through a few of them, uh, some easy ones. And, and I think one thing is people hear enrichment, they they think that's going to be something that's going to take a lot of their time or it's going to be something that's really complex. When in reality, knowing because I used to work in the zoo field, it's, it's not really that hard. Like Travis Wyman here, I've thrown a shed from other animals in the collection uh, into other cages. That's a form of enrichment. Like, I know that didn't seem like it to some people, but that's a form of enrichment because it's a whole new group of smells. So that's one thing. Or changing up food items. I I know I'm not good at that. I feed just mice and rats, but I know a lot of people are really good at changing that up. I'm boring. (laughs) I'm kind of boring, too. Um, (laughs) Although if I can get hold of chicks or chickens, I will. I'm just always horrified. You hear the horror stories of, like, the chick's feet or beak or whatever tearing a hole like i just i'm afraid to be that one person where that would happen and then i'd hate myself for not doing mice or rats again like <laughs> would, like oh i recently got chicks but i haven't fed any yet because of that very reason they just look dangerous to swallow so i worry about them swallowing those pointy parts but I have fed. See, fish I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's 
Yeah, I do worry about that, but I have fed fish out to some of the snakes. I've cut little chunks of like tilapia and salmon and fed that to some of them. Yeah, I know a lot of people do that, especially with like, uh, like Kribos and stuff like that. They'll definitely feed fish to them. But I've seen some people do it with like, I've never thought to do it with like pythons or boas, but I mean, I guess, I guess that they, they'd probably eat it too if I did it. Some, it depends on the individual, really. Some are picky. Uh, Dominique DeFalco said that for her king's sake, she'll switch up his decor once a week, uh, moving stuff around. That's also, that's like one of those really simple things I don't think people think of, but, you know, move the hide around or maybe have a separate, have two different types of hides and once a week, just swap them out or move them from one cage to another. You know, as long as, if, if it's animals within your collection that you've had for a long time, there's a very low risk of some sort of transfer back and forth. Uh, you know, obviously if it's something that you just got, don't switch anything back and forth, leave it off by itself, but uh, switching up or just to like switching the substrate, putting them on a different type of substrate every now and then is another way. Yeah, those are all great. I, I always like kind of all of them here. Leaving one thing the same so that the snake always has that one familiar safe place that's theirs. But then change other things out so that if they want to investigate novel items and they want to investigate new things, that those things are available for them to pursue. Yeah, give, it's like they're having their own blankie. They have their comfort blankie. Yes. <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe Chal, I'm, I'm not going to try your last name. I apologize. So this one's kind of interesting because that's still venomous. He had copperheads, and so after they would bite, he would take the mouse, drag it around the cage in little paths, and then drop it off like behind something, behind a rock or in a corner. So kind of like in the wild, they, they would have to follow that trail to go look for it, which right. I, is something. He said that I, he followed, the, the snakes followed it like exactly how he did it, which I thought was really neat. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, anything you can do like that in the enclosure to simulate natural foraging for those snakes that hunt that way, that's great. Uh, some of the simple stuff is like scenting. Riley talked about it. I know he worked in the zoo field too. Uh, if you ever go to a lot of zoos, tend to have old perfume bottles like for keepers because they'll just have like old crappy perfume that like, if, especially big cats and bears, little spray around the yard, perfume. Uh, it drives cats nuts. They go up to it. They make the funniest faces. They sniff it. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm not saying spray perfume on your snakes, folks. Don't do. Please don't don't go spray perfume on your snakes. <laughs> but but uh, just just since like I said, like Travis said, taking sheds from one snake to another. If you don't want to leave a shed, then just kind of take a shed and and wipe it on something in the cage. There's going to be oils on that shed that smell like another snake. Um, I thought while one. we were talking about this, I was thinking. Um, you know the reptilinks, how they have the sense as well. Yeah, now, I don't. I don't know if that's going a little bit too far, and it'd be too strong, and they would like you put it on a branch, and they try to start eating a branch or something like that. <laughs> but um, that, I mean, that's that would be you know another a different use for those scents as well as using it for enrichment instead of um, food scenting. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, you do want to be careful with dietary uh, that the animals don't accidentally eat things. You know, you kind of have to know your animal right, like, exactly. history and make sure that you're not making things enticing that they shouldn't be eating and that they don't accidentally eat it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, that maybe that, that would be 
not the best idea because of that particular <laughs> instance. Yeah, don't, don't give your snake a, a stuffed teddy bear. That's probably a bad idea. And that may not go frogs. as well. And send it with with yeah with <laughs> frogs. Uh, Christian Parr said adding a lot of PVC perches for somewhat of a jungle gym style. That's something that's super easy. I mean, I made one uh, PVC perch for my Brettles Python. Um, and you can kind of have fun with that. Go to go to Lowe's, go to the PVC section, and you can really get kind of creative with with the PVC and the perches and all that kind of stuff. And that's easy to do. Now, in, in tubs, it's a little harder to do that, depending on the tub system. But if you have something that likes to climb, a tub may not be the right way to go um, if you only have one or two of those snakes. Even if you have a lot, I feel like if you know it's a climber, you should yeah. have it in a climbing or do it. Yeah, do a, do a taller. You can do it to a taller tub too. There's also uh, taller tubs that you can get made into a rack that would allow them to climb. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just trying to go through some of them. Oh, and then I thought it was also interesting. Warren. So this goes against everything. Warren Booth mentioned uh, a paper, a research paper that he saw where they had done an enrichment kind of study on corn snakes and included variation in substrates, uh, choice test cage decor. And he said no effect was found over the bear cage with a water bowl and paper substrate. Um, so it'd be, it'd just be interesting to see with that paper compared to what you have found, Lori. Uh, right. And I asked him what was for done, how it was different. Yeah. I actually, uh, we had some, a little discussion on Facebook about that because I asked him if he could get a copy of that paper. And I think he told me that was from 2000 and it was done by, um, it was a master's thesis and he wasn't sure he'd be able to get a copy, but he would, he said he would try because I would like to compare that to the other study that was done to see maybe why the two um, research groups found differences in their results. You, you always want to do that. You know, you always want to see, well, how were the protocols different? Were the methods different? I would just be interested to read both. You know, I actually have, I have my hands on the one study. I would like to get my hands on the other study and compare them. I mean, that's what science is. And so um, I don't know if he'll be able to get his hands on that or not. Yeah, it sounds like a 50-50 shot on that. <laughs> uh, here's another cool one. This one, uh, I'm going to screw this name up. Togna. I I don't apologize. You know what? Screw it. I don't apologize anymore. People's names. I screw them up all the time. When you said you apologize the first time. I didn't make a comment, but I was thinking, wow, I'm he's not, actually apologizing. I'm not. People, it, it's coming. If, if you've got, look, if you've got a weird name and you know you got a weird name, I'm not, don't be offended. I'm probably going to mess it up. So uh, it says oh, my monitors God. love when I put a mouse in a box with holes in it. Uh, so kind of like a, a little problem they have to solve to get to it, which is, you'll see that a lot in zoos. Uh, they'll put stuff, put boxes out with like cats and bears and bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. But monitors make sense. I mean, they're also, a, I mean, I'm not saying snakes don't think, but they're also a higher order thinking, problem solving kind of, and they got the claws to feel it, figure it out too. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to do that with snakes too. You know, like get a box with different size holes or whatever in it and put the. You don't, you don't want to get stuck, it's the only problem. I mean, I suppose you and then they watch crawl them. around the <laughs> And then they crawl around the cage wearing a box. <laughs> yeah, you definitely call. Oh, that makes me sad. You want the holes to be big enough, but my snakes will spend hours crawling in and out of boxes like that. And if you scent the box, like I'll put a a drop of lemongrass or a drop of lavender on the box and then pile the boxes in there, it has kept some of my most active snakes 
occupied for hours and hours and hours. So just obviously make sure the snake can't get hurt on it. Yes. I mean, I heard of box turtles, but a box snake is a bad idea. <laughs> so Ashley posted one. That's a picture of her monitor with those. Um, you know, If no one's gone on there to see it, it's, it's a dog toy ball, but it's like one of those geometric or whatever balls. And it's got holes all in it. And she puts whole prey items in there. And then the, the monitor has to dig them out of there. And it's a fun little toy um, for them to knock around the cage. Cause I mean, you know, monitors, they'll knock things all over the place. Um, but that's nothing like if you if you own uh if you if you want to do enrichment, go check the dog toy section. Yeah, at, those like, are Pet Smart. There's a lot of called, interesting things you can find there. Those are called holy rollers. H O L L E E holy rollers. And you can order them online or get them at almost any pet store. And they come in different sizes. So for small reptiles or for large reptiles. Obviously check the size of the holes. Yeah. Again, you don't want your animal stuck in inside a hole. Uh-uh. Nope. Well, and you and don't then, want your animal ingesting uh, the whole ball, so make sure it's large enough they can't swallow it. Dang, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, I'm not thinking lizards either, so I'm, I'm so I like... I, I know I put brain. a toy in here, but I don't find that, <laughs> oh, I can't find man. the toy anymore. But now my lizard squeaks every time I pick it up. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Gosselow said target training with a leopard gecko and a bearded dragon. He said the leopard gecko responded better than the bearded. It was a project he was do- going to do at college before COVID hit. Uh, so that's kind of cool. That is mm-hmm. cool. Maybe we can do target training on a crested gecko. Think it'll work? Yeah. I mean, I I'm sure if you would. put crested gecko food on the end of a stick, it'll lick the steak. Heck yeah. Cool. <laughs> like, hmm, I need to get a little crusty gecko now. <laughs> Lick the stick, damn it. Lick it. <laughs> I uh, I actually did kind of make a target for my tortoises. So my tortoises go ape shit over anything that's bright red. Because uh, they love, like, tomatoes. And anybody listening out there right now, shut up. I know you're not supposed to feed them a ton of tomatoes. Get over yourself. But they love tomatoes uh, or watermelon or red toenail polish, whatever they can get a hold of. Uh, you can't wear flip flops out there. Like my wife can't wear flip flops because they'll chase her feet around. Yeah, um, I had that happen to me before. <laughs> so I didn't have any red paint, but I did have bright, bright pink paint, spray paint. So I painted the end of a stick the other day, so that when I let my tortoises out, because that's my form of enrichment. They have their own pen, but I can open up the gate and let them roam the yard. And uh, and so they'll roam around the whole yard, eating all the grass out there, and then kind of use that stick to get them. I'm just starting it with them. Um, because before, like when I worked at the zoo, you would just tap their shell. You keep, you tap them and they kind of are conditioned to, when you tap the shell, it's time to go inside. I was like, let's see if I can try and train them to come towards this stick. Uh, that looks kind of like food. So I'm working on that. I'm just starting it, but I'm going to try and target train my tortoises. That's excellent. Work. You need to pair the target with food initially so that they start associating the stick with food and then eliminate the food and just show them the stick and get them to follow the stick to where you want them and then give them the food reinforcement. Okay, so funny timing. My neighbor that was behind me just texted me to tell me that my big tortoise has flipped over. So I will have to go get him. <laughs> That's something they've only recently done. So I've got two males and and they've lived together now for I don't know two years, and every now and then they'll get they'll get angry towards each other because they're tortoises and that's what they do, uh, and and it usually ends up in the big one mating with the smaller one. Uh-huh. Uh, 
but apparently the the smaller one has gotten the better of them twice now. Because it's the second time my neighbor said, "Hey, he's been flipped," and I've had to go out there and flip him over, which I think is hilarious. And for a long time, I felt bad for the smaller one until I really watched them. They're both assholes. I don't feel bad for either one of them. <laughs> I've watched. I've separated them. I'm like, all right, all right, we're gonna stop. And I've watched the smaller one go around me so that he can go straight at the bigger one and ram them again. I'm like, all right, you get what you deserve at this point. But apparently the smaller one has been able twice now to best him and flip him over, which I think is hilarious. So that was my my two cents on my special tortoises. (laughs) Well, thank you for those two cents. (laughs) But so, yeah, that was that was really interesting. Uh, I think enrichment, like I said, it's getting done more and more. and I think people are realizing it's it sounds like it's a very complicated thing, but it's really not, uh, especially the, the, with Travis just shifting sheds around. We all have sheds laying around. If you have more than one snake, just move it to another cage. And people do that um, even with breeding, like between males, like they'll put a different male shed in there um, because you know some species do the male combat. And so that kind of triggers them to like, oh, let's let's do breeding stuff. So people do it through that way. So I don't see why you wouldn't be able to do it in non-breeding season. I throw males together to get them to breed. If I have a male that doesn't want to do anything and I, with a female, I'll take another male, put them in there for an hour or so. What uh, if you with, did that I, and like it was actually a female? <laughs> there goes your breeding plan. <laughs> That's true. That would suck. You shut Oops. up. That's not going to happen. <laughs> now you're going to be paranoid. You're going to be like, oh, well, gosh, April I, said. I have... Well, I think I've sexed all the ones I've gotten in. Shit, no, I, legit, no, they're, I, only, they're... I only worry about that because short tails are so hard to sex that sometimes the only way to confirm what they are is actually breeding them and one of them gets eggs. You know what I mean? See, sambos are easy because as adults, it's obvious who's the male, who's the female because the female is much Size, larger. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why I was asking us to groups about sexing uh, rubber boas. Can I do it the same way I sex? Sex them. So I'm like, well, the males are, are smaller than the females. I'm thinking, yeah, that's wonderful. It doesn't work as a baby. They're both the same size as a baby. Like, <laughs> I don't need to sex the adults. That is obvious, but I appreciate the help. <laughs> trying to be nice. Thanks. <laughs> trying to be nice, but useless all at the same time. <laughs> like, sometimes, like, sometimes I'm just like, I, I know people are being nice when they answer on Facebook. And at the same time, I'm like, your answer was completely useless. <laughs> I laugh just because I know how you are and it just it's so funny to me <laughs> because you try to be like all PC on responses but you're like that did me absolutely no good and you no just good. like did move away <laughs> oh. oh too funny okay April the next question was your question yes read the question because I don't know exactly how I worded it Jesus I gotta do everything right here okay here we go <laughs> yep but then I'm gonna talk about it after that <laughs> What would be your top three snake species for beginners slash children and why? All right. So background story. The guy that I'm dating is afraid of snakes. So he knows that I keep and breed snakes and they're a big part of my life. So he is trying to overcome his fear to, I don't know, I I appreciate it nonetheless, but he wants to get his child a snake. So he asked me, what is the best one for a child? So I said a corn snake because I feel like. Their habitat, you know, is it's hard to mess up a corn snake's habitat. So it's very forgiving in that sense. And they move around a little bit and they're generally really nice. And so that was my reason. He's like, he, he basically didn't believe me. And so I'm like, fine, I'll go post this on my page 
and we'll see what people have to say. And thank you, everyone, for saying corn snake because you <laughs> proved me right. <laughs> but I will add that uh, this weekend, I got a ball python for his son. Um, it is a banana spider enchi possible pie. It's possible a lot of things. Um, yes, yeah, you've reached. That's ridiculous. Just stop. It's too many. <laughs> But basically, um, it's a, a banana spider, and it's just starting to get its little black dots on it. And I think it's the cutest little thing. And I wanted to make sure that if his son got disinterested in said snake, that it would be something that I would want to keep. And I've always actually wanted a banana ball python, so I won't be mad if I end up with this snake. So I appreciate sure everyone's responses. <laughs> it is really adorable. And it's just, it balls up just like a ball python should. So since this is not in front of you, I'll go ahead and read everybody's responses. Okay. One of us got ready for this. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brandon said, whatever species the kid is willing to put research into, I agree and disagree that like, yes and no, I'll research the hell out of rattlesnakes, but it doesn't mean that needs to be my first one. Mm, that's true. Like, I think with with my situation, I think dad's doing more research and I keep on saying like, have Aiden do it, like have Aiden look up what snake he wants. And I've like sent him to snake discovery and stuff, but I don't think he's listening. But you, okay, so you, don't, <laughs> you, you don't you don't know this. So this is how it's going to work. His dad needs to research it because his dad is getting a new snake. Yes, dad is getting a new snake. <laughs> snake. The kid wants a snake, but the kid doesn't want to take care of a snake. And for anybody out there that has a kid that takes care of their animals way to go you've got the one in 10 kid that's like yay i'll do this what's gonna happen is the kid will be super excited for about a week and then it's dad's snake yep so so he better like it oh he thinks it's cute so that's a plus it's <laughs> cute or cute as a plus i was trying to read three different things at one time all right <laughs> uh one person said as a pet only yearling or older daisy peltus and i looked this up i think that's egg those are egg eaters so i did look that up because i was like yes. i don't know what the hell that is yep but now I know, and the more you know. Well, I think if you read a little bit further, he does talk about it how it is an egg eater. Look, I understand <laughs> that, but I didn't want to read further and still be confused on what the hell it was. So I oh, Googled got it. Got it. I, I, I was about to Google, and then I read the context. I was like, okay, I know what it is. Because, you know, James and I, we're dumb, and we don't do scientific names. So, <laughs> Well, like, I don't know about egg eaters as pets. I've never had one, so I don't know care-wise how they are. A couple of my friends have them, and they'll send me videos, and it's really neat. So I definitely see how that would be a very intriguing animal to have. So that was I one. Uh, Jason Brumley said his – oh, go ahead. I was going to say with the egg eaters, you have to make sure that you have access to the correct size eggs that those snakes eat because some of them only eat like quail eggs. I mean, they can't all just eat a big chicken egg, and if you don't have – Red, you know those eggs readily available. What are you going to feed it? So I think that that's a consideration, and probably why more people don't have them is just the lack of availability of the proper sized eggs to feed them. Probably so. I think you can get them at Asian markets, and I want to say that someone told me you can even get them, like order them online. Also, you can, you can also just kind of search on usually Facebook Marketplace. Really? Someone in, someone in your area probably has quail eggs for sale on Facebook Marketplace. Hmm. You can find anything on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. That, well, okay. No, <laughs> I, I mean, just think that's I'm weird, saying, but okay. I'm not saying it won't be super shady when you go pick them up. I'm just saying they may have them for sale. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Jason Brumley said, and and this one will be cool, but the price range does keep it kind of not being a beginner snake and golden pythons. Yeah, I, I thought I that that one. wouldn't really be a beginner snake. Um, for all the reasons, uh, read the reasons he listed, please. So I'm doing everything for you. I said, please. So what he said was they're easy to keep, never have feeding issues, get large enough to be impressive, but small enough to be manageable. They're confident, inquisitive, but not defensive, although they can be difficult to find and a bit expensive. Um, that That's for the big one. And then he said his second pick was children's python. And I have a hard time saying children's python because I have one and she's a bitch. A lot of children python that I know of are bitey and. And he says that, that they can't be best on his experience. Well, that's my experience. Yeah, okay, so my experience with the, actually, I would, oh, go ahead. Children's pythons, I think, because we have two of them, and one was relinquished to our animal sanctuary, and the other one I got as a baby. They two, they have an extremely high food drive, and they can tend to be bitey and, and just have the attitude of I'm going to strike first and then decide if this is food later. But once I started target training that one, the one we got as an adult. We absolutely have no handling issues with him now because he knows if he doesn't see that target, no food is coming. So I can go open the enclosure, take him out. We've taken him to educational events and he's fine. But if he even glimpses that target or if I accidentally wear something the same color as that target, he is ready to eat whatever is there when his enclosure is open. And so you can fix that if you're willing to work with it. See, mine, when I bought it as a baby, I was at a show, and I was holding it. It was it was itty-bitty, and it was cute because it probably bit me 300 times in the hour I was holding it, uh, but it was so small that it didn't break the skin, so I was like, ah, whatever, but it's not cute now that she's full-grown. No, uh, I think, honestly, it sounds like it's just operator error um, it on the be. keeper part. Yeah. And that since like if they're target trainable and we and you can it's almost like a like hook training like the the big snakes that we have because I hook train my Burmese python and my reticulated python and that's you know for safety to get them out of food mode because they could potentially kill me but right. you know you don't think of it with a little small one but you could do the same thing. Yeah, if you teach them a signal that means you're going to eat. And they don't see that signal, then they're not necessarily going to assume that they're going to eat. It's it was pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I, my problem is I'm lazy. I, I know I know <laughs> I know that if I would just like take the time to handle her and do all that, I'm sure she would be great. But um, it's much easier for me just to say she's a bitch and then move on. <laughs> At least you're okay. honest with yourself, James. <laughs> Look, she. So you know what though? She has never refused a meal, so that's that's one bonus. She will eat every time. Sometimes it's my hand she wants. <laughs> uh, Darren Watson had three great suggestions, and I say that because I own all three of these: corn snakes, mm-hmm. common boas, and sand boas. I think they're all great. Uh, I always get a lot of people. Well, sand boas aren't good first-time pets because they hide all the time. Well, what's your point? Like, yeah. But if you were going to take it out and hold it, you can take it out and hold it, and then it's not hiding. Like it's, they hide because that's what they do. That's one of the cool things about them. They sit underneath the sand and wait. Like they do that. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and that but, yeah, I thought about Sambo is actually. I think that that what you just said though brings up a good point of consideration for what's the best pet snake. And I get a lot of people because I do 
behavior stuff that ask me, well, what's the best snake for a first time snake owner? And I always tell, ask them, well, what are your expectations of that snake? First, you get, make me a list of what your expectations are of the snake. And then I will work with you to find a species that's going to fit your expectations because people are highly disappointed if they get a snake, let's say just based on how it looks like, oh, this snake's beautiful. I want that one, like a rainbow boa, especially the Brazilian rainbow boas. They're red and they're pretty, but they hide like 99.9% of the time. And they aren't a snake that's real amenable to handling and a lot of activity. And so someone might get that snake because of the way it looks and then be really disappointed with it as a pet and end up not keeping it. And it goes to rescue or it gets rehomed 50 times. So I really like to try to avoid that up front by asking the potential snake owner, what are your expectations of that snake? How much do you expect to see it? How much do you expect to handle it? How much do you expect um, to see it when you're awake? And how big are you comfortable with? You know. If you're going to handle it, are you comfortable with a bigger snake or do you want something smaller? How active do you want the snake to be? There's a whole list of questions that I always ask people first, and then I talk to them about species. I think that's a great point because for me, ball python honestly isn't the best beginner snake because they're kind of boring. In, in a sense that most of them just hide all the time. I mean, they live in termite mounds. Why Why would you expect anything different? But they just hide there. And when you get them out, they just, they don't move. You know, some of them will actually ball up. Some of them just sit there and chill. But if you want a snake that's just going to sit there and chill, then maybe that's what you want. Mm-hmm. I agree with Lori. I think, you know, you see a lot of times in groups, people will post, what's the best snake? I want to get a snake. What should I get? And uh, no one ever asks that really. I mean, I say no one. You rarely ever see someone ask, well, what do you want out of it? You always give people just th- automatically yeah. throwing out whatever they own because that tends to be the answer. It's whatever I own is the best snake. I mean, with that said, I do own the best snakes, but but <laughs> most people uh, will just say whatever they own. But I agree. Like Darren had corn snake, common boa, and sand boa, and those are three drastically different snakes depending on mm-hmm. what you want. Yeah. If you want an active snake you can watch, a corn snake's going to move around and be very active. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want something you can hold but you're not going to see often, a sand boa. And then if you're if you're not wanting something that's going to get big, a common boa is out of the question. That's I know a lot of people say, well, that's not big. It is to a lot of people. If someone walks in and sees my six and a half foot female, that's massive to them. Right. And then the people that want something big, that would be a really great choice. Yes. Because it's still it's big, but it's still handleable, like handleable. It's not like you know a big reticulated python. So, though I still I want- say have caution with a six foot. Uh, boa. Yes. <laughs> um, Travis said uh, a yearling or older rat snake or a corn snake, which I completely. And that's kind of what we've said before. We think corn snakes are great beginner snakes, but you've got to be prepared for babies to get out because they're yeah. really good at it. And that's why, like, if all corn snakes were sold at a year old, they'd be the perfect beginner snake every time. I think just in general to all, they meet all around. Uh, what everybody normally wants, something they can handle, something that can be pretty, something that's going to move a little bit. And, that's and a at a year snake. old, they get out of their little bitey stage yeah. too. Cause a lot yeah. of times when they first come out of the egg, they're trying to attack everything, you know, which we talked about earlier. Right. Yeah. You're the size of a pencil. Everything's scary. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, and they're um, so fast at that age looking, with Darty, okay. they just fly right out of your hand that, you know, that might not necessarily be the you best right. choice for a kid. But yeah, I think, gosh, an adult corn snake, that's the best. If you can find one and that's the mm-hmm. first snake you get, you know, an adult that's already full grown or, or sub-adult that's close to full grown and is already habituated to people, you're going to, almost anyone would be happy with that snake. Oh yeah, Those, they're they're amazing. I have a couple of adults, and I I love them to death. And they're they're definitely a snake that if I'm doing a program, I take out and will hold for a little while, and have no qualms about what is it doing while I'm holding it. Whereas some of my bigger snakes, I'm like, I'm holding it, but I'm kind of paying attention to what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas my corn snakes can care less; they just want to be able to move through my hands. Right. Yep. When people come to my collection, I have a bunch of short tails that if you don't know short tail behavior or you you don't give them enough support, then they get really wiggly and and sometimes let you know they're not very happy. But with a corn snake, like, oh, you want to hold a snake? Here you go. Here's my corn snake. And and they're they're happy because they get to hold a snake. You know, they don't care how big or small or whatever it is. And with all the different colors, you can hand them an albino and it's amazing or an okatee. And I mean, the colors really draw a lot of people in because a lot of people that are afraid of snakes. If you if you had a bright red snake, it's hard for them to be as afraid of it because it's something they're going, oh, that's really pretty. And so you, it's always funny to hear someone who who hates snakes when you pull one out and go, that's pretty. I'm like, you just hated it two seconds ago before you saw Isn't it. Isn't yours pink? Don't you have a pink I, one? I, I do have a pink one, and she is super pretty. And no one will ever see her on a picture because every picture she looks gray. <laughs> every single picture. But I promise you, she's pink. She's really, really pink, but looks gray in every picture. Uh, and then Riley, so Riley said a yearling corn snake or older, and then he said a Doomrolls boa. And I would agree with that, except for if anybody wants a Doomrolls boa now, they have missed the boat because they are so damn expensive. Oh, are they? I, oh my God. So I bought some years ago. Uh, I don't, I got rid of them because one would never eat and one was really bitey. And so I traded them for corn snakes, but, uh, <laughs> They were 125 bucks back then. I yeah, saw pictures. I, from Day- being- well, I saw pictures from Daytona this weekend, and they were like 650 to 800 dollars a piece. Oh my goodness! I was like, um, "Wow, that's insane." <laughs> and well, I guess supply and demand, but you can't happen with the supply the, that low. I mean, it happened with the the king snakes, right? The black king snakes. Yeah, I get, but still, it's. I mean, I, I love Doomrolls Bow, and to me, they have one of the best patterns and colors of any snake on Earth. Mm-hmm. But it ain't an eight hundred dollars snake. I guess it is to somebody who's willing to pay eight hundred dollars. But I'm not that person. <laughs> uh, so, as much as I think, yes, that would be an awesome beginner snake because it's a lot like taking care of a common boa. It's, it's very, very similar. Uh, price tags, but I'm gonna keep him out of it. He also said carpet python, which I could kind of agree could be a decent beginner. Although, I mean, they're maybe not as calm. As some of the other ones the subspecies of carpet pythons about, um, are in the fairy, for sure i mean carpet pythons is what yeah. i mostly keep and there it there there are behavioral differences between the subspecies so like an inland carpet python they and a poplum carpet python in the in my experience with the numbers we have here those are phenomenal snakes to work with and handle and pretty easy for somebody who's a beginner but a jungle carpet python um, you know, a Darwin, some of the Darwins are the wildest snakes that we have here. So I think it depends on the subspecies. It depends on the temperament of the parents. Who are you getting them from? What have they already done with the snake before you get it? I think they can be an excellent first snake, but they might not be depending on a lot of variables. 
Yeah, that's a really good point with carpets. Well, I know you have the brettles, and since I've gotten mine, I think brettles should be on that list of a great beginner snake because they get you the size, but it's not ridiculous. Uh, they're, I mean, they're almost bulletproof as far as keeper air. Uh, they can live cold, warm, hot. They're mm-hmm. they're pretty much just fine. They're gonna eat for you. Yeah. Um, and and they're pretty. I mean, they're red. It's it's a pretty snake. It's not, you know, this dirt brown snake. It's a bright red snake if you get the right one. And so. I think yeah, that should be added to the list of a great beginner snake. It can be. I love them. I mean, they're my favorite snake species. I love them. But and they're they're intelligent and easy to train and I work with them a lot, but they aren't a snake that's going to just sit and let you hold them for hours. Like they're very active. So when they come out, true. They want to move around and do stuff. They don't really want to sit in your lap or have you hold them for an extended period of time. And so again, if the snake is one that you're going to want to hold a lot and expect it to sit there with you. I don't think that's a bread lie. No, I, I agree. And that goes back to your question of what do you want out of your snake? If you want to sit there and watch a movie while holding your snake, as much as this pains me, a ball <laughs> python is probably your snake. Uh, it's going to just sit there. I mean, you know, true. I, and I, I always, it, it cracks me up when some people get a ball python and they go, all it does is sit there. I'm like, well, yeah, yes. that's what they do. What, <laughs> Well, we, I don't know what you expected, but that's what they do. Everything you find about them. That's what I mean. They're called ball python. They ball up and sit there. And that's actually um, what I told my boyfriend is that if if you want to just sit on the couch and, and have your snake out with you, this is the snake, you know, and I, I did a, a kid's test on this particular individual as well, where I did fast movements around it and it was fine. I picked it up at different areas of its body and it was fine. So. We'll see. I'll let you know how it goes. I have to switch it on to Frozen. So until I do that. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be able to do it. I think it'll be fine. The ball pythons, we have two ball pythons only because they're such a popular pet. I felt that I needed to be familiar with them and their personalities and the way they are. So that balling up behavior is their fear response. So when they're sitting all balled up like that, it's because they're afraid. Um. When they're relaxed, they do move around some, but they don't move fast like a corn snake and they don't have the activity level of a bread lie. So mine will come out of the enclosure and move around, but it's a slow movement and it'll find somewhere to chill out for a while and then it'll move around a little bit more and then it'll sit for a while. So I think it can be a good first pet snake, again, depending on what the expectations are of the snake owner. Yep. So I think that's the, the most important part in in all of this of what is the best beginner snake. It's not a it's not a it's just like everything else in the hobby that we are moving far away from is there's not a cookie cutter answer for that. Um, you know, and just because you own one doesn't mean it's because we talked about earlier. My first snake was a rainbow boa, and you mentioned rainbow boas. I would never recommend that to a, as a first snake to anybody. That was a horrible idea. Yeah. You know, it worked out, but as much as I'm like rainbow boas i'm not gonna be like you know what you should get a rainbow boa if you've never had snake you'll love it that's not that's not where i'm going with that i would agree with that they're a unique species and it takes just the right person to love them because you don't see them a lot they are not highly interactive um and they have some husbandry requirements that can be a little bit more challenging than like a corn snake but for the right person that might be the perfect pet you know, it just depends on what you want. 
So that I I think it's kind of a mix between all these answers. So we saw earlier where uh, Brendan talked about whatever the kids willing to put research into. Definitely research whatever you're going to get. But then at the same time, like Lori said, you need to research it with the idea of what is your expectation in it. Not research it. Go that's pretty and I want it, which is super easy to do, which is why I ended up with a rainbow boa. Uh, <laughs> it's super easy to go, that's pretty and I want it, and then buy it. Because at a reptile show, I mean, you could walk out of there with almost anything and have no clue what, what you're getting yourself into. Uh, so there's your answer to that question, April, that there's not really one. Although we think we can kind of all agree a year-old corn snake pretty much fits the mold for everything. I mean, yeah. honestly, I was happy that you all just said that to prove my point, and I won. So... <laughs> I was happy with that. And, <laughs> and yet you got a ball python. And yet I got a ball python. I got an amazing deal from my rat guy, so it was it was good. So that was our so those were our two questions of the week. All right, so our listeners, things that our listeners posted this week, some interesting stuff. A couple things from Travis Wyman. Uh, I'm gonna probably mess up the scientific name. It was an article that talked about Boega dendrophila melanota or melanata was elevated to Boega melanata. It was, it was elevated to its own species. So for uh, Justin Smith out there, way to go. There's your Boega news. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Justin, something just for you. Do, do, do with it what you want. But it now <laughs> is its own species. Uh, and then he also, and then Travis found a Reptiles Magazine article from, I'm just saying Travis, it was from March. It's not that up to date. But colorful new egg-eating snake species discovered in Sri Lanka. Uh so we talked about egg-eating snakes earlier. This was an article on a, a new egg-eating snake species out of Sri Lanka, which is cool. I just I, I don't I don't egg-eating snakes don't do it for me. I know like it's a lot of folks like those. It's, they're not they're not in my wheelhouse, but I still do think it's cool to watch a snake eat. Although I've seen like rat snakes eat ch- chicken eggs, and that's super cool because they can eat a full size chicken egg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ryan Holland who always gives us like dinosaur stuff <laughs> so prehistoric, <laughs> this is true. prehistoric last meal marine reptile fossil has beast in stomach and it was a it was a prehistoric reptile that kind of looks like uh like a reptile version of a dolphin uh and they found a, a prey item a, another aquatic reptile in its stomach and the the interesting part was that the the predator here was not actually assumed to be that predatory originally because of its teeth it didn't have these serrated edge like razor type teeth um kind of had pointed kind of dull teeth and so to see this inside of its stomach changes the way they look at this whole group of animals during this period where they thought that they weren't really predators more maybe a scavenger or something um and they're starting to realize that they were they just don't have what you would normally recommend as or recognize as predatory teeth which was kind of cool for anybody that likes prehistoric reptiles so they look like dolphins just (laughs) more more proof that dolphins are super scary (laughs) and then oh genetically produced mosquitoes that's all i had written down let me pull up the article 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes approved for release in florida keys which sounds right off the bat like, what the hell, don't do that. But uh, they have done this before. It has been tested in, I think they said the Cayman Islands. And what it is, is they have a gene that will cause all of the females to die at larval stage. Only the females. So they send them out there. The males reproduce. The females lay eggs. 
And then the only ones that come out of the water are males, which is good news because males don't bite. Only females bite. All the females. Oh, yeah. All yeah. the males don't bite just the females. You females are bloodsuckers. So uh, the, the males will then come out, breed again, and they keep passing on this gene that doesn't kill the males, only females. And so eventually you will dwindle the numbers of the population, hopefully. I mean, unless something horribly uh, happens and uh, like every other time we've ever used animals to try and take care of animals and maybe <laughs> we make these giant super mosquitoes. I just thought the comment about, yeah, this sounds like a great thing to do in 2020 was just so funny. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what else could go wrong in 2020? <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here waiting for two hurricanes to hit me, and they're out there going, hey, you know what? Genetically engineered mosquitoes. Good news, they're not planning to go out until 2122, somewhere in there. So we can, we can <laughs> so extend 2020. Then. We can just go ahead and do some more of this. Oh, man. Um, Jason puts uh, snake saved after... Oh, snake saved after being sucked into industrial vacuum. So this was in, uh, I want to say Great Britain. And uh, yeah, it was in Great Britain. There was a vacuum, an industrial vacuum they were using to clear an area on the side of the roads. And it sucked up these two, or actually three snakes. Uh, and they, they expected them not to live. They opened up the hatch and there they are just pissed off, mouth open, like striking because they've been sucked into a giant industrial vacuum. I but it ended super up, mad too. Ended up being harmless little grass snakes. Aww. Um, but it's just, it kind of shows you how, like, I mean, they're they're tough animals. I don't think we give snakes enough credit for how tough they are. But, I mean, I've seen some wild ones that are pretty messed up, and yet they're adults, and they're living, and they're good. So they're a tough animal. But that would suck to get, okay, no pun intended, that would suck to get sucked <laughs> up into a vacuum. <laughs> um, and then my wife, Katie, posted one. This kind of goes into, we talked about, Kennan, Camp Kennan's video last week about the, the loose tortoise that they found. Uh, this is another one in Tennessee. Um, a tortoise was found after over two months loose. It, they don't know how it got out. They, I guess they're, they're saying that there were no holes dug. Uh, the fence was intact. Maybe somebody opened the gate, let it out, but they ended up finding it um, like over like 74 days later, I think, in a construction site uh, not that far from the guy's actual house. Uh but yeah, it's amazing a, how, yeah. how, I mean, I had, I had my very first snake. She was missing for like, I want to say like five to six months. And it's just amazing, you know, how, how well they can survive, even if it's not necessarily their natural habitat. Well, this article says that the guy, uh, that a local animal rescue group has teamed up with the Nashville zoo to give him a GPS tracker for his tortoise. <laughs> so if that, if the awesome. Nashville zoo. If the Nashville Zoo wants to send me GPS trackers for my four tortoises outside, I'll take it. If anybody out there wants to send me some, that'd be awesome. Uh, Did you just? They just have to get loose and make news, and and then maybe. <laughs> yeah, the, the loose part is the problem. <laughs> I know. So, but it was just I saw that article. I was like, it's another article about tortoises getting out. And then I think, oh, and then Lance Kirkman hatched uh, some. Oh, I know. I had this earlier. Chihua, yeah, Chihua geckos. Yes. Which, which are kind of cool, I guess, if you like geckos. They are pretty cool. And I do like geckos. Thank you That's very why I much. said if you like geckos. <laughs> so that was what we had from all of our listeners this week. Which is awesome. Thank you guys again we for posting it. all that stuff. It's awesome. And if you live in the Florida Keys, watch out for genetically enhanced mosquitoes. Yes. 
but not until twenty. I got bit up this weekend by mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You, got, yeah. you got a year. You got a year, year and a half to prepare for genetically enhanced mosquitoes. So, but get ready. They're coming. <laughs> They're coming. <laughs> oh, I don't know why that was so funny to me, but it was. Sorry. <laughs> oh. So, and then to YouTube. Move on to YouTube videos this week. There were some really good ones. Okay, so the first one is not so much about the the overall video as much as it is one thing in the video and they kind of want to go off on it uh dave kaufman's it's reptile probably adventures. the same thing that i want to say <laughs> i don't know was it, was it dave kaufman's reptile adventure one yeah okay, it was so the very first one the unboxing one right? it, was the, it was unboxing i wanted to talk about the add-ons that breeders put into boxes when they ship things oh that's that not what, what you... i wanted to talk okay, about okay nope. good we have two different things okay so, he unboxed uh three different snakes and then one was a mystery box the mystery box actually ended up being a gecko which is obvious because it came from a gecko person so that the mystery wasn't a huge mystery as much as what kind of gecko was it going to be but just some of the add-ons like there were stickers in, in some of the boxes like when i when i ship out my uh sambos i always ship them out with a care sheet uh, i need to get stickers i know i really want to get stickers uh i have plenty of stickers from somebody who left them all over my car in That'd new orleans mean. yeah those stickers <laughs> keep popping up in places uh but I would like to get stickers to put in the box. I think it's cool when people put things in there. Or I know the the they did a handwritten note in there, which is neat. But that's just not me. So if anybody buys a snake from me, you're not getting a handwritten. You don't want a handwritten note from me. You wouldn't be able to read it. My <laughs> handwriting is atrocious. But but appreciate your uh, your your free care guide that you're probably gonna throw away when you get. But I still feel good because I put it in there. So I just I like I like if anybody's sending out stuff to somebody, those little extra things really help. They. they they kind of go the extra and they make somebody feel a little better when they order something from you. Like I got my rubber boas, my first pair and they came with a sticker and a little card and it was yeah. cool. It makes I you have, happy. Um, the, the filling that I put in is like uh, the paper version of what you would put in like an Easter basket, but with my, um, my business color. So, which is teal and black. So I have that mixed in and filled in and then I have my stickers and then I went on, Oh, where did I go? Possibly Canva, I think, um, which is like a designing website. And I designed a thank you card where on one side, it just said like, thank you for your business and had a picture of, um, one of my short tails. And then on the back, it had my logo on it. And then I handwrite something on the back on every single snake that I do. Cause I'm not, you know, a big time, you know, a mount breeder. So I can do that. You know, I only got to do like 30 a season maybe. <laughs> so, so that's what I do. And I like doing that. It makes me feel good that I'm giving something that maybe is a little bit different and put some thought into. Um, I don't know. It's important to me. So I do it. <laughs> Yeah, I think so personal you're out there notes, and breeding and spelling. Yeah, definitely personal notes make people feel good, I think. And of course, people like to feel like they're getting free stuff. So any little extras you put in there, are gonna, people are going to get excited about. I should get magnets made also. I'm going to do that. Now you're getting, <laughs> getting really extra. Now you know me. <laughs> that is true. Um, what I wanted to point out in the video is that it's another person that is unboxing in their reptile room. Oh, that was totally true. I, I saw that and I was like, oh, Dave, no. I know. I cringed a little bit. But in all fairness, I don't know if that's his quarantine room. It could be. I don't know. So I don't it think definitely so, could be. He, po he pointed behind him at all his ball pythons. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're right. He did. Yeah. You're right. All his pides, right? Isn't that what he said? Yeah. All pides were there. Yep. So so that would be, you know, yes, it's a great background, but you're opening, you know, 
snakes from a different collection. And even if you really, really trust that person, you never know what that snake might have that didn't show up in the other collection because it wasn't under any stress. So True. that was my that was my little I, I was like, I oh, have, man, <laughs> I did have that thought when I watched it. I was like, oh, come on, Dave, don't do that. But he did. But then I saw stickers. They even had the one person. I don't know if you saw the one logo. Squirrel. <laughs> oh, no. It was like, I think it was ever. I think it was Everglades reptiles or Everglades, but it was an alligator. Their logo was like an alligator head, and they had like holographic stickers in there, which was kind of cool. Oh, I they think Sticker Mule does holographic ones. They were shiny. Yeah, a they, lot of people use Sticker Mule as well as me. myself. Oh, and I Lance uses Sticker Mule too because he just got new stickers. That's true. Uh, and the next one was Dave Coffin's Animal Adventures. Which was tarantula keeping and venom milking, which was really cool. Yeah. Considering they only got one drop of venom. Which I'm like, man, that's tedious. They milked a centipede. I was walking in and out of my living room and that was going and did not see that one. And I'm thankful of that. (laughs) How many times are we going to bring up these freaking centipedes on this freaking podcast? Oh, my gosh. They're really cool. I mean, they're horrifying. It, it was well. That's why if you watch it, they for more for the safety of the animal, not the safety of the person. But they actually uh, kind of knock out the tarantulas and the centipedes a little bit, so that they don't stress out, they don't hurt themselves flailing around. I mean, I'm all for yeah. not having a centipede trying to bite me the whole time. Yeah, that's beneficial, right? Because those, I'm just that many legs trying to grab you and then twisting around, and that's horrifying. But it was neat to watch them milk a centipede. It was M-toxins, which we talked about M-toxins before. Dave's been there before for the snakes. But uh, yeah, go watch the, Go watch them milk a giant centipede. I thought it was neat. Uh, and that stuff, I think, when they're milking that, it's not really for like, I don't feel like, do you need anti-venom for centipedes? I don't think they're not doing that for anti-venom. That's more for like venom research. Uh, you know, what can we use venom for? And there's so many things that medicine is finding that we can use venom for. So that's what they're collecting. But you're right. It was like a drop. And that was it. And and itty bitty, like ridiculously small drop. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, I'm like, what pipette size are they going to use to get that? And how are they going to make sure they get all of it? That's where my brain went. I don't know why, but it did. And then they freeze dry it. And then it turns into powder. And so it's even less than what they actually got. So like, I don't know. It's it's an insane amount of time and a lot of milking of centipedes and tarantulas. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, the next video we talked about kind of last week on our podcast. We did. So Brian Cusco put out – if you listened last week, Brian talked about he was going to do a video on how to better take pictures. He did one. He put it up this week. It was up your game on Morph Market with better pictures, which – I, I know that you shared it on the Facebook group. I did. I literally was watching that video and he he mentioned, you know, you have direct sun and you have overcast. And I look outside and I'm trying to take pictures of my freaking T negative uh, 007 for this book. And I'm like, oh, it's overcast. Let's take the snake outside. All right, and all right, I don't hold on. Take you glance, glance right over that. It's not just a book. Like, what it book is, is it? It's the book. On yeah. blood pythons from Tracy and Dave Barker of VPI. So I'm super excited about being in that thing. 
I still have to send him the email because I have to figure out how to do take the pictures from my phone and embed it as an attachment instead of just in the email. I haven't Googled that yet, but I'm doing that tonight after this podcast, just letting you know. But yeah, so I use a tip from Brian to get Why that. Why don't you just email think- to yourself on your computer and then do it from your computer? Because I haven't thought of that yet. I'm going to try it, but I don't know if it's going to work. I just don't know. (laughs) But that picture that I posted on the page, I think is the one that I'm going to send to Dave. I have two different poses of the snake, but that one was pretty decent because she moves a lot. She does not want to sit still for me. So, but yeah, so I guess you guys got a sneak peek of what could potentially be in the book. Can I get, can I get my two cents about your picture? Sure. (laughs) Uh, Do they want it? What kind of background do they want it on? Do they tell you what kind of background they wanted? He is going to edit the whole background out and put it on white. So he didn't care what background there was because he's going to edit all of that out. Oh, so okay, I tried well, to make sure that well, never mind, the huh? background didn't invade her shape at all. So that way it would, it, you know, when he edited that out, that it would just be the snake. So. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. It's <laughs> just yeah, different background. Shut up. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't have to be mean about it. Oh, my goodness. So. So Brian's video, he mentions a lot of stuff we kind of hinted at last week. But like you said, indirect sunlight is what. So you don't have to have a light box and fancy equipment nowadays with all the cell phone cameras. Cell phone cameras are pretty good. Just take them outside in the indirect sunlight. So that means like shade, but not like shade, shade, not in the dark. Uh, cloudy days are amazing. Um, and get a picture of them on on a on a solid background if you can. I prefer. And you can see in my pictures in the one I posted, I went and bought a tile from Lowe's that I liked. That was kind of a dark gray slate tile. Um, but my, my reasoning for that was I wanted every picture I took to be identifiable as a picture from Simply Serpents. Like when you're scrolling through Morph Market on Samboas and you see those pictures with that, that tile background, you know that's Simply Serpents pictures. Yep. I mean, granted, it says Simply Serpents on every picture, but still. <laughs> I know what like, you're talking about because there's some people reference. that have – like a certain they do it on gravel and it's a certain color gravel and they always use that same gravel or a wood background or whatever they always use the same thing so you know immediately who it is 100 percent. but my snakes i like to do my adult snakes too and so i don't have something like if you guys like that are listening have a suggestion for a larger background um that i can put them on because like yeah a small tile is great for babies but yeah you know, the bigger snakes, I don't know what to do. You can always just do it on cloth, black yeah. cloth, white cloth, um, poster board, big white poster board. If you want a white background, maybe that foam board. Cause it's a little bit thicker and not so flimsy. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so maybe we use go- like acrylic too. Like they make like Riley's pictures are all fancy seeming and Eric Burks too. Him and Riley do like the same, like black acrylic or something. It almost looks like a mirror. It's cool. You could always go out and buy a 356-pound rock like I did to put in your yard and take pictures of your snakes on the rock. Oh, that sounds like a fabulously wonderful, you know, inexpensive idea, James. <laughs> hey, a 356-pound rock is not as expensive as you think. It was only like $75. No, that's, that's a great I, price for a background. It's a great price for a big-ass rock. Oh, I, I plan on buying a 2,000-pound rock in the next couple of years because I found out you can get those for like 500 bucks. I'll have a 2,000 pound rock in my yard. And I'd be like, that's a ridiculous amount to spend on a rock. I don't give a yep. shit. Just yep. call it a ball python. It's the same thing. Hashtag adulting. That's just weird. <laughs> it is. We went to, we went to the, the, the like landscaping rock place and we're like, oh my God, this is awesome. And I'm thinking, 
I don't know how excited I would have been at 14 about this being awesome. Right. But 35, <laughs> it's awesome. That's so funny. So. But yes, Morph Market pictures. Watch that video because I still see people post pictures. And I'm like, it's not that hard to take a decent picture. Why does your picture look so shitty? Like that you took that picture and then you said that's the picture I want to use to sell this animal. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're if you're selling sambos on Morph Market, please keep taking shitty pictures. Mine look awesome next to them. <laughs> but everyone else, everyone else, take some time and thought and effort into it. Uh, it really doesn't take that much to make a decent looking picture. And in all honesty, if you're selling a snake online, you've got to you've got to get a good picture because that's all they're seeing. But don't saturate it because that's just annoying. Yeah, don't don't. I don't edit any color on mine. Uh, the only editing I do on mine, I do it all from my phone. I will turn the picture so that I have them angled the way I want them to be angled, and and then that's it. And then I put on my logo and I put on what they are on the picture. But but I, granted, I'm using a light box. I don't I don't go outside. I use I built a light box out of a milk crate and some fabric and some lights. And it gets me the color of what the snake is. So, yeah. All right, it was a really good video. So props to you, Brian, for, for that video. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I was answering somebody during our podcast. Somebody sent me a picture of a baby. It looks like a baby racer. Yeah. I get the messages. I'm sure both of y'all get messages all the time from people. What is this? I found it in my yard. I actually don't. Uh-huh. Oh, then people don't like you, April. I do. I get messages like that. Like, I know every species of snake in the whole world or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, this one I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a baby racer. I'm not there. It's pretty dark, but it looks like a baby buttermilk racer. Which, buttermilk racers are one of the coolest snakes on Earth. If no one lives anywhere where buttermilk racers live, it's a blue snake. It's amazing. Oh, that is cool. They're blue, like... First time I saw one, like, I saw a picture of like a cartoon drawing a picture in like a field guide. And I was like, there's no way his snakes are blue. And then I caught one. I was like, holy shit, it's blue. Mm-hmm. And not like uh, the way that people like to say corn snakes are lavender. Like it's not that kind of like it's blue. Like it's it's not gray. And then if I squint, it looks blue. <laughs> they are, are blue. Oh. Um, and then Clint's Reptiles did a video that kind of tied into your question yes. a little bit. It was top six ultimate pet reptiles. Now, I, I watched the video and I'm thinking, these are horrible suggestions. And then I thought back, wait, the video is top six ultimate pet reptiles, not top six best pet reptiles or beginner pet reptiles. And so that started to make more sense uh, as he went through. Um, and he, he separate, as he does in all of his videos, he separated them into categories. And, and I'm sure when he was picking them out, he used his little categories on how he ranks them. But um, of course, for moderate to large size lizards, he put tegu because if you've ever watched any of Clint's videos, he's got his black and white tegu. I think it's Gus. Uh, you can just tell when he takes that animal out how much he loves that animal. It made me, it lizard. made me so happy watching that. Did you move into a closet? What happened to your sound? Um, it sounds weird on my. It sounds muffled, huh? Yeah, a bit. you're in a bucket. I'll unplug See, and look, Lori's, Lori sounds great. Yours sounds like I'm. Look, I'm trying to run a professional thing here, and you're bringing me down. I am happy to hear that it sounds great because remember, I live and work at an animal sanctuary. So there are so many extraneous noises here. There are dogs barking outside. There are horses whinnying. There are snakes that want out of their enclosures and they're pushing on the glass. You can't hear any of that. 
I have heard the dogs, but we haven't said anything. <laughs> I can't but do anything dogs. about it. I'm okay it. with that. I mean, we normally get April's cats knocking stuff over throughout, throughout episodes, so. And now April disappeared. Oh, no. Hello. Oh, no. We lost April. Oh, well. It's a one-man show. Here we go. <laughs> hopefully she finds her, you know, hopefully she finds her way back. Maybe she She doesn't will. message me like, hey, what's... Maybe she'll exit and so, rejoin and it'll all... work. Yes. If she figures that out. Oh, she messaged me. Let's see what... Everybody can enjoy this. Oh, she said, just keep going. I am going, April. You don't have to tell me what to do. So, uh... Next, he actually had a category, and I thought when he got to this category, he was going to say nothing. But that's when I realized again, it was not a beginner category. It was not beginner's reptiles. Uh, but he got to crocodilians, and uh, he suggested the uh, was it Cuviers, Cuviers, dwarf caiman, uh-huh. which I guess I'm just, dwarf caimans. Dwarf caimans don't do it for me. I like. Uh, I mean, I, I really desperately want a Chinese alligator, but I can't afford or legally get one right now. So that would be my list of what I want. But I mean, like, anytime you're talking about getting a crocodilian ahead. as a pet, that's a huge commitment. And it's a huge oh, yeah. Um, yeah. task on a lot of levels. So I hope that people don't think that he was saying that's a good beginner pet. I know he wasn't saying that, but hopefully people don't misconstrue that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think the problem with caimans is they probably get treated like they're not meant to live in a 55 gallon fish tank. And I think so many people put them in there. Cause like, well, the fish tanks four foot long and they're only three foot long. Like that's not how that works. Right. That's so I, I, that's the one thing I miss the most for being a zookeeper is working with crocodilians. And I keep telling my wife, we're going to build a, a pool and then I'm just going to turn it into an alligator exhibit. And she keeps telling me I'm wrong, but I don't know what she's going to do when she shows up and there's an alligator in it. <laughs> that would be really neat. It, it, it actually would be really neat. I want one so bad. I, if I can't have a Chinese alligator, I'll settle for like a female American alligator, I guess. But I really would like the broad snout of caimans. Broad snout of caimans are really cool looking. Um, but dwarf caimans, just, they look, dwarf caimans just look small and angry all the time. Uh, yeah, but they're he neat also looking. for turtles and tortoises. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just I yeah. like the way crocodilians look, and I think that most people do. I just think they don't understand what an undertaking it is to actually keep one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they underestimate the size area it needs. You know, because Emily on Snake Discovery, they have an alligator, but it was it's stunted. They got it stunted, and so it kind of lives in a smaller area. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I think. I think too many people think, well, if I don't feed it that much and it lives in a smaller space, it won't outgrow it. That's not how that works with alligators. They, they, you feed them, they grow. Like it's, it's just they, they're going to grow, and they underestimate how big they really are and how much water they really need versus how much land they really need. And so, if you're going to own an alligator inside, is usually not the best way to go unless you've got a really big room and you're ready for a lot of water to splash around. Right. But. So for his turtles and tortoise category, uh, I don't agree with his, but it's it's his choice what he thinks it is. He said the uh, common snapping turtle, which is Mm -hmm. okay, I guess. If I was going to go with a snapping turtle, I'd go alligator snapping turtle just because they're wicked looking and very prehistoric and awesome. But that's just me. 
again, he's not suggesting beginners. Don't beginners don't go. You know what? I want a snapping turtle. Not a good beginner turtle. Although I don't know how many turtles really are good beginner. To, like turtles take a lot of time and effort and commitment. Uh, they and live cleaning. forever. I mean, they live so long. That's a huge commitment. Yeah, it, and water turtles. They just if you don't set them up properly, they get gross. Mm. And that's some, oh, I don't know if you've ever dealt with turtles, but man, that smell is horrible. Not at home, um, but you know the herpetology lab. The, the the person that ran that was very into turtles, and so he had a lot of turtles, and a lot of the setups were geared towards turtles. And you know the reason some of the turtles were there was because they were rehomed, because they had been abandoned, or people didn't want them anymore. Which is, brings me back to that's a lifetime commitment, and a lifetime for a turtle is long. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, she's afraid. Okay. So anybody listening out for April, she's afraid that if she leaves, we'll lose our audio, which sucks. Uh, I don't know. That sucks. But it's fine. I'll keep going. Uh, He said, ultimate pet reptile hognose for the snake, for a small snake. I guess. Mm -hmm. Still, because that's where I started. It it wasn't talking beginners, because a hognose I would never suggest as a beginner. Um, But they are a cool little snake. If, If you, if... They, they poop too much for me, but they are a cool little snake. They're not. We have one uh, Plains Hog Nose, and she's not my favorite snake. I wouldn't have. I'm glad we have one. And she's pretty good when we're showing people, you know, snakes. She's a good size for people to hold once you're holding her. She's pretty, um, pretty good about that. But she isn't my favorite snake. She's just too weird and she's hissy. She'll hiss in one breath and then be your best friend in the next, you know? Well, and they're also weird because they don't, they don't strike. They just kind of bite like they're there. And when they're going to bite, they just kind of turn their head and start chewing. Yeah. And so like, there's not a huge, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are warning signs to look for, but it is one of those things where like the bite is not nearly as obvious as something that strikes at and you're like, Oh, I should leave you alone. Yeah. She just um, kisses a lot. So and then, I'll just be- be doing normal husbandry or yeah. I'll walk by and all of a sudden she'll hiss. And even though I know she does it, she still startles me every single time. And she's never bitten. We've yeah, had they can be a very vocal, they can be a very vocal snake. Yeah. She was relinquished to us a couple of years ago and she's never bitten anyone or offered to bite, but she just hisses. It's almost like she's messing with us. She just waits for an opportunity to startle us and she'll just hiss. <laughs> Uh, his his ultimate pet reptile for small lizard, he said New Caledonian geckos, which I guess are cool. And then we have a crested gecko; they're neat. Or the uh, even put leeches in that list. Um, so those are cool. And then for his larger snake, I agree. He put the BCI or the BI or the common boa, whatever you want to call it, imperator. But I think I honestly have always said that I thought boa imperators are one of the best beginner snakes if you can handle a six foot adult. Like if you can handle the size. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. They're always going to eat for you. They're they're usually pretty calm, um, and they're and they're pretty. And, and especially if you like morphs and stuff, there's plenty of colors and patterns and everything out there as well. Mm-hmm. They're a very popular pet. We have one, and I I haven't had it too long. It's a baby, so it's still quite shy. I'm curious to see how it is as an adult. 
And, and again, we got it just because it's such a popular pet. I feel like I need to be knowledgeable about it and I would like to be familiar with its behavior. So I'll ask you, is it common for them to be very shy as babies and hide a lot? Yeah, it can be. It definitely can be. Um, they're also, they're not one, when you take them out, they're not one to sit still. Like even like full grown six foot, seven foot females, you would think like a big snake would get kind of lazy. They like to move and they like to climb and they like to get, I mean, they always do this thing like where I'm holding them and they'll, they'll stretch up. They always want to stretch up. Okay. So, I like that. I mean, I like that kind of behavior. That's why I like carpet pythons so much. And I'm back. And April's back. We, <laughs> we, oh, man. No one gets to hear. I'm going to splice it together and it's going to sound amazing. Hopefully. If you're hearing this, people, it worked out. If you're not hearing this, you have no clue and I'm crying in the corner. <laughs> so, oh. all right. Uh, I got two videos left. Snake Discovery, which I thought was really cool, and it kind of makes me want to get small monitors now. Uh, she did a – our team were monitors get an upgrade. And so they had one of those big – it wasn't the Paladarium, I don't think, because it wasn't – it didn't like it look like it held as much bedding no. as the yeah, big Zilla. So. But uh, it was one of the really big front-opening glass cages uh, from Zilla that – I don't know. It's probably, what, like three foot wide, four foot tall, or three foot tall? Something like that. It's It's big. Maybe three by three and like one and a half deep or something, maybe. Maybe. And they did team wars in it. And they really decked it out with uh, bioactive bedding, plants, cork bark and branches. But they did some things to show you how to work on a budget. And they actually changed out some of the ways that I'm actually, I'm going to be taking care of my animals. Uh, one cool thing they did was the water dish. If anybody out there wants a naturalistic looking like water feature, they used a painter's tray from Lowe's. Which was plastic. awesome. Yeah. It gave you that gradual uh incline or decline or whatever into the water um it looked really cool and then they surrounded it with some rock and leaves to kind of make it look a little more natural basically uh, every like tip like cost saving tip that they gave was really good on that video i actually shared that with my boyfriend as well because he wants something display ish so i'm like here look at this and get some ideas on what you want to do like i'll take care of getting the stuff if that's you know the route you want to go but it was I, uh, really good I looked at it. I was like, okay, I don't really want Timors, but I have really thought about getting Ackies. And I was like, I could do Ackies in this. I bet. Yeah. Because I've 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 been don't they I like, really, like drier and hotter? They are, they are, but uh, so it makes it a little bit easier. But I don't. I've got to do some more Ackie research. But the, the, I just like I've want a monitor. I really want a monitor, but I know I'm lazy. So that's that's another problem with wanting a monitor and being lazy. But I think I can do that setup and not be lazy and <laughs> still get the joy of having a little tiny dinosaur in my house. I mean, we'll do you, see. <laughs> do your research, friend. <laughs> Lori, have you worked with any monitors? I have not, and here's why. I'm sort of getting out of mammals and and animals that you have to feed multiple times a day, every day of the week and clean up after like multiple times a day. And snakes are so easy to yes. me yeah. to take care of that. They're so low maintenance that, you know, that's what I want as I get older in life is lower maintenance, but still be able to train and work with animals and snakes to me compared to mammal care are just so incredibly easy. 
that I haven't gotten any lizards because you have to feed them more often and do more with them. And that would defeat the purpose, you know, of me having the snakes. Yeah, I know that, that, that is my, uh, that's my big issue with kidding them. I'm like, I really want them, but I'm really lazy and that doesn't work well. So I'm still in the planning period. But anyways, going back to the video, another really cool thing that's going to change how to take care of the one lizard I do have. I, I do have a Euromastix. I've always used the ceramic heat emitters over using a bulb because the ceramic heat emitters will last you know, three, four, five, six years, where the bulb lasts you like three months. Um, but I've really started paying attention to my power usage lately after I got these smart plugs and I can see how much power all my stuff's pulling. And to my surprise, I guess I never no, no I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. I just never thought about it. The thing that is pulling the most power in my entire reptile room is the bulbs on my lizard. Because it's a hundred and like fifty watt or hundred, yeah, hundred and fifty watt ceramic bulb, or maybe two hundred watt ceramic bulb. Something it's it's hot because it's Euromastics, and for some reason they like to be able to bake. So, uh, she showed the mini uh, halogen dome from Zilla. Yep. And there was a twenty five watt bulb and a fifty watt bulb, and the twenty five watt bulb was getting like one hundred and thirty degrees. Mm-hmm. and I was like, wait a minute, it's only 25 watts, and it gets hot enough, and it's super small, and then she showed, money saver tip, instead of buying the Zilla bulb, go to the hardware store, you can buy the exact same bulb, 25 watt halogen bulb that fits in there, for like four or five bucks, I'm like, four or five bucks, that's, I mean, if it blows out in three or four months, I don't give a shit at four or five bucks, I'll buy a whole bunch of them and have them on hand, um, and it's going to pull way less energy, uh, in my house so yeah i'm switching as soon as payday comes we're actually ordering me a dome and we're gonna order my wife for her classroom her bearded dragon and we're gonna start using those halogen lights because i'm i've gotten to where now i just turn I, i've always ran 24 hour heat on my euromastics i was like that's ridiculous there's no reason for that i can turn it off and he'll be fine so i'm just use these halogen lights i'll just turn them off at night and he'll be fine so yeah that's, let, let me her- know how much your uh, electricity bill goes down I mean, it's it's got to be less because I, I was running, you know, basically 200 watts of of ceramic heat emitters, twenty four seven. Yeah, because I my- have I have two ceramic heat emitters, one for my bearded dragon and one for my carpet python because he's in a cage. Um, and so I'm curious because my electricity bill is outrageous because my air condition I think is wonky. That's a whole nother story. But you know what I can do in my snake room to make the electricity bill less would be wonderful. Well, I was looking at like the usage. So I got those plugs, I don't know, two episodes ago. So that's probably like two weeks, I think. And, uh, and the kilowatt hours the other day used up by the plug on the lizard was like 80 kilowatt hours. The plug that ran my four, four foot cages and my big tall rack was like 20 something kilowatt hours. Interesting. I was like, Holy crap, I'm killing myself with these damn ceramic heat emitters, which I still <laughs> ceramic heat emitters are great if you don't want light but want heat and you want it to last a long time. They are wonderful. Mm-hmm. But these little halogen bulbs, the only trick is you can't touch them with your fingers. The oils in your fingers will screw them up. So you just gotta use a cloth when you plug them in. But uh yeah, I've got I've got a switch. So watching her video on that really changed what I'm gonna be doing. And I may also uh screw myself over and get Ackies. And when she painted the sides of the cages black. Oh, Instead yeah. of a spray paint, I use the actual um, Rust-Oleum, just like wet paint with a, a, a sponge brush. 
because I also am very terrible at spray painting and it never comes out even. So I just did like two or three coats of that on the sides of my crested of my, my gecko cages. Um, and that looks like stellar. It looks really good too. Yes. You used a Rust-Oleum, a black Rust-Oleum spray paint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just used the can instead of the spray paint. So it does, it does really change it. It does look really good. And it also makes your animals feel like they're not on display. So yeah. they're going to be a little less stressed out. Because that's the one thing I really dislike about like full glass enclosures is just that, you know, there's so much openness <laughs> for animals yeah. that most of the time like feel secure when they're hiding. So most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. I definitely recommend right. any of I have a couple of exceptions. Go ahead. That's weird. I think it is weird when there are exceptions. I have a couple of Bradley that just go nuts if they're not in an all glass terrarium and I put them in there and they're completely calm and content and they don't, they're one, they're obviously just content in there. But most of the time, if the animal is surrounded by nothing but glass, they feel a little, a little bit insecure and they would prefer to have a couple of sides that are solid. You heard it from Lori, guys. You heard it. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to do preference that testing point. and get to know your animal. Not all animals can be lumped in that group because, like I said, I have a couple that do not like PVC enclosures, don't like any type of an enclosure that's got, you know, solid sides and do just exceptionally well in all glass. And they're very content and calm and have all relaxed behaviors, which they don't in a PVC enclosure. <laughs> but typically, it's going to be the opposite. But you've got to check it out with your specific animal and try to give them what they prefer. Yeah, because that's one of those things where sometimes you got to take it not on a not on a species by species basis, but on a snake by snake basis. Because you could post a picture of. Your snake in a glass tank, and you're gonna people go. That shouldn't be in a glass tank. You're like, yeah, but it's happier in a glass tank. Like, yeah. there's you're, you're basing it off. You're saying that they're all the same, but they're not. I mean, Eric Burke does his diamond pythons in glass tanks, and he says they do great. Yeah, glass that's what my diamond. Glass tank. My diamond is in a glass enclosure and has all. It does great. One of my breadleys, several of my breadlie are in glass enclosures. But then I have some that are just too um, feel too insecure in all glass, and they do better in a PVC type enclosure. I mean, they're all individuals; they're living things. You can't group them all into one category. Agreed. Okay. Uh, so yeah, snake discovery. Go watch that video. Super interesting. Um, and a lot of really good tips. Like I said, I I really took a lot away from that video, and and now I want monitors again. <laughs> um, and then Camp Camp Cannon did one on the giant python ban. It's a giant python ban, uh, overturned? Question mark. Um, this week there is a judge in Florida that is going to hear them about the hear the U.S. Ark and all the keepers about this ban. Um, and I guess you know the the. The best they probably are hoping for right now is that all these animals get put back on the uncon uh, on the conditional species list, which would allow for breeders and stuff to still keep them with permits um, and still be able to have these animals like the iguanas, the tegus. Um, and so that was interesting. I think that's the 27th, he said, is when that hearing is in Florida. There's a judge. He wants to, and he, apparently the judge wants to make his hearing and his decision that day. So this week, 
we should find out the the they're saying the keepers are saying that the state of Florida overreached. They don't have the ability to make this decision on wildlife and, and all that, and so um, th- they they feel like they have a firm ground to stand on in this, and that they should be good. So we'll see what happens this week on that. But hopefully they do because um, it's spreading. And, and and the problem is that you keep seeing these stories pop up now with Tegu found. There was one the other day my wife showed me a Tegu found in South Carolina. It's like, ah, oh, shit. Oh, wow. And I've seen one lately, Tegu, that was found in Louisiana. I'm like, we're going to start getting screwed here, too, because people can't keep the damn Tegus inside. So, I don't know. It's, it's getting... I'm getting slightly worried, and I'm hoping that we can get another win here, that USR can get a win. USR did get a – oh, just a side note. Talk to our buddy <laughs> Dallas Rua, who was at Daytona this weekend, and he told me that USR raised $69,000 at their auction. Yep. So, Which is uh, – I think uh, they said it was a record for how much they have raised at an auction. So Wow. Which is crazy. Uh, the COVID Daytona, where like the – you know, you don't expect as many people to be there, but – but That's it also awesome. is Florida, and we're also going through this right now with the bands and everything there. So I, I think it's you know absolutely awesome that everyone was able to to you know help and give to that. So thanks everyone. Again, if you have not joined US Arc as a member, please go do it. It's really like it's like forty bucks I think for the year. That's that's really not that bad. Now I, I, US Arc, if you're listening, I still want my shirt. But everyone should go join US Arc. And send me a shirt. <laughs> but if you keep any reptiles, you should be a part of US Arc. It's just, it's just your, if you want to be able to continue to keep reptiles, they've got to fight. And that $69,000 will go a long way, especially in this fight this week. Uh, lawyers ain't cheap. So. Yep. But that was all I had from YouTube. That was, was a I lot, had. though. We've had a lot. That was a lot. We were able to somehow talk about it in a concise amount of time, which is. <laughs> not per usual <laughs> i know <laughs> anyway um Lori, if people want to get a hold of you uh for any behavioral questions any training questions where can they find you i have a website it's behavioreducation.org and then i also have a facebook page both my personal page and behavior education Facebook page and I'm on Instagram and that's just Lori Torini on Instagram. So people can message me on any of those social media platforms. I'm also on Twitter, but I don't use it a lot. I'm on Amino, but I don't really understand that at all. I try to like post a photo every day, but there's a lot going on in that app that I don't understand. I don't know. What is that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's just Amino is... (laughs) It's uh, it's busy. Let me just put it that way. It's busy. They have these different groups on Amino for your interests, like reptiles or snakes or music or whatever it is. And people get on there and play games and post polls and load um, files into it and videos into it and photos. And it's very, it has a lot going on. And I'm on that, but I'm not on that very much because it's just very busy. I'm mostly on Facebook and YouTube. Those are the two main places that you can find me on daily. Awesome. I think I'm too old for Amino. Yeah, I don't I have never even heard of that. So. I mean, I know what I know what I know what amino acids are. They're the building blocks of proteins. I got that. Yes, very you know, good. At least we got that going for us. <laughs> I'm a biology teacher, so I got to know that one. 
Oh, you guys are. Oh much. yeah, good. All right. If you want to get, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me at designerexotics.net. But the best place to find me is either on Facebook at Designer Exotics or YouTube Designer Exotics or Instagram Designer underscore Exotics. Or April Justine, I guess you could find me there too. Okay. But I was going to give them up, but real quick, because I have Facebook pulled up while we're doing this. We had one more comment on our best beginner snake. Oh, we did? Yeah, Jason just posted, depends on the child. Good kids get corn snakes, bad kids get rock pythons. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can find me at simply underscore serpents on Instagram or simply serpents on Facebook. Uh, you can also find me on Morph Market where I have snakes up for sale. I'm just saying, if anybody wants Samboa, uh, I got to make some money back on all these snakes that I just bought recently. So buy some Samboas. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, it is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast everywhere. So at gmail.com, on Instagram, on Facebook. Oh, I did want to say a couple things about that. We uh, we got another review on on uh, Apple, mm-hmm. and it, it, it was a four-star review. I don't know what we did to don't get a five-star review but they didn't leave a message i'm like if you're gonna like leave a message or leave a a, a, let's not say a bad review but not a five-star bad review at all oh my god tell me what i did damn it (laughs) you probably dabbled on too much that's what it is yeah well tough shit that's this podcast or i laughed too much that could be it too who knows (laughs) they can suck maybe maybe they're a ball python person that's possible too in that case sucks to be you uh so any of that was there oh i also got so I saw that we were ranked in Denmark. In case you're wondering, what? our our podcast is ranked. Hold on, I'll tell you, number two hundred and thirty-one under science podcast in Denmark. Wow, I love well, that. Denmark. Just blows my mind a little bit. Denmark is an awesome country. We're ranked if, in Denmark. If you get the chance to visit Denmark, you should. It's a wonderful country. I love it there. Maybe we'll go on tour because apparently we're ranked. There you just, go. Just, just going on tour in Denmark. That's that's. <laughs> you can broadcast live. If anybody's listening Denmark. in Denmark, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna wear wooden shoes oh next my to a gosh. windmill. But you're a mess. If you're, if you're listening in Denmark, please send us a message. I'd just like to know if somebody's listening in Denmark. I mean, apparently, because we're ranked in in Denmark. If you got this far, I'm sorry. He's I'm just not babbling sorry. now. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Okay. Also, real quick, our sponsors, uh, again, Lone Star Reptile Racks. Hit up Robert. Get you a new rack. He's an awesome guy. And Herb's Reptile Shows, amazing shows. I should probably have already had it pulled up to tell you what the next show is. But there is a show coming up. And right now, I'm just buying time by rambling. Let's so. put the uh, schedule on our uh, Facebook group, too. That's or probably a good it. idea. Yeah, we probably. That. Mm-hmm. that sounds fancy, though. You say things like link. That means I need to know how to do shit. Oh, you just like share it. That's all. Just hit the share button and then put it oh, on I the can, page. I think I can figure that out. If you can't, just text me. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma City, Oklahoma is their next show, August 29th and 30th. So that is this weekend coming up. And then, oh, that makes me so happy to look now. Conroe, September 19th and 20th. I cannot wait. I will be at the Conroe show. Come by, see me. I will be at the Simply Serpents table. I will also be at the and – and I keep forgetting to plug this because my, my partner keeps yelling at me. The Simply Bio table, we sell small bioactive acrylic habitats. And uh, so you can do like spiders. We like we sell isopods for them. Come by. 
see us. I'll be at Conroe. Say hi. Um, I'll, I don't have, maybe I'll get, uh, April to send me pictures of her naked ball sacks and you can check them out. I'll have a picture of them for you. Uh, okay. And Lori's, Lori's like her, what? <laughs> she probably knows. <laughs> I, I think I heard you guys talking about that before. I'm good. Yep. See, she knows. <laughs> so yeah, that is it for me this week. Thank you, Lori. It was wonderful. It was awesome. If anybody wants to know more about Lori and what she does, contact her or go listen to those other podcasts where they interviewed and did great interviews with her. And she really got into depth in what she does. Um, unfortunately, that's not our podcast. We don't do that. We're not, we're not in depth kind of people. <laughs> we're kind of shallow. Oh my goodness. All right, Lori, thank you so much for joining You're us. Welcome. Thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you very much, Bye. guys. Bye-bye.